page number would be 552. We're going to read Psalm 19. The heavens declared the glory of God. The skies proclaimed the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech and they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out in all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing for the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to have you with us. Uh, if you are a student, then a special welcome. Uh, my name is David. I'm the, the student and young adults uh, team leader here, so it's great to have you. Um, as Chris has already mentioned, straight after the evening service, if you head up to the top hall, there's going to be food after for uh, students and young adults, so everybody's welcome. If you don't know where you're going, just find someone, and uh, they'll, they'll direct you up. Let's pray, shall we? Oh Lord, would you please move by your spirit? Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word tonight. Amen. Diego Maradona was probably one of the greatest footballers of all time. He's known here in the UK, certainly by those who are probably about 40 and older, um, with a mixture of... Um, of appreciation for his great talent and frustration for uh, something that he did back in 1986. It was July the 22nd, and uh, we'd made it to the, the semi-finals, or the quarter-finals, and uh, we were doing really well, and actually it looked like we could have won the World Cup that year. Well, Maradona, amazing player that he is, scored two very memorable goals that night. The second one, um, has been actually voted as one of the, the greatest goals in, um, in well, in the history of football, really, certainly last century anyway. Uh, the first one, however, was one that caused a lot of ire here in, in England. It's known as the Hand of God. Maradona basically decided that he was going to play volleyball, and he jumped for a ball and palmed it into the net. Uh, the referee didn't see it. Uh, everyone saw it and went crazy. He said, no, no, um, but the referee allowed it, and, uh, and Argentina went on to, uh, to beat us. We were kicked out of the World Cup. Terrible, absolutely terrible. I'm still fuming, and I was only two months old when that happened. So, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, 
So Maradona then wrote um, a, an autobiography. I love reading autobiographies. Uh, and his is probably one of my favorites that I read. And in the blurb for that, he said, sometimes I think that my whole life is on film. My whole life is in print, but it's not like that. There are things which are only in my heart that no one knows. At last, I have decided to tell everything. Lovely, it's on the screen for you, there you go. Now I could get to know the man behind the legend. I'd watched all of the football reels, I'd seen all of the highlights, I'd seen interviews with other people who said, what an amazing player, but now, reading his book, I could get to know the man himself, which was amazing. The psalmist David had a, a similar sort of experience, and uh, this is what we're reading tonight, Psalm 19. It's sort of his experience of contemplating the hand of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In verse 1. Now we, when we look at the stars, having known so much more, we can have the same sort of appreciation for the beauty and the majesty of God. Particularly, you know, it raises up a lot of questions, doesn't it? Uh, what is this universe? Why am I here? Is there a creator? And if there is a creator, can I get to know him? And one of the best things is that God, like Maradona, has written a book. We can get to know the things on his heart. We can get to know this God on so much deeper than the level of a creator and a created being. God actually reveals himself to us, and we can have an amazing relationship with him. Did you notice in verses 1 and 4 that David uses the word God in, in the English translation? In the Hebrew, he would have said the word El, which is basically the, the, the most common name for God. It just, just means deity. Uh, you don't really get to know so much about God from, from this term. You sort of you get to know something of the, the, the majesty of God when you look and you see uh, there's a universe that is finely detailed and beautiful and wonderful. So you get to know something of who God is, but you don't get to know him as a person. It's like meeting a painter. Um, you've only ever seen the painting. But in God's word, you get to actually speak to the painter himself. Did you then see that in verses 7 onwards through to 14, David then switches the terminology. So he's now using the word Lord in our English Bibles which is the word Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is the name that God reveals to his people. When he, when he reveals to, to them, you can have a relationship with me, you can get to know me, not just as El, this deity, somewhere out there, but as Yahweh, a person, a person who longs for you to know him. You may also have noticed that when we read this, there are six stanzas here, each with a different name for the word of God a description of the qualities that it has, and one of the benefits that reading the word of God brings. So the qualities we see are that God's word is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, firm, and righteous. Whereas the benefits in God's word, when you scan through, you'll see that God's word refreshes or revives the soul. It brings wisdom, joy, it enlightens the eyes, and it warns us of dangers ahead. See, the word of God brings life and equips us to live it to the full. So David has just finished speaking in verses uh, 4 to 6 about the sun, which is the source of all life here on earth. Now he switches in verse 7 to talk about the word of God, which brings spiritual life. 
Peter says something similar when he's addressing the scattered believers in his first letter. He writes this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. That's 1 Peter 1, 23. So the word of God was the agent that the Holy Spirit uses to bring life to the people who are being taught. See, that's the primary reason why every week when you come here, you'll hear ministers spend so much time exposing the Word of God, trying to teach it, because the Word of God brings great transformation. It converts, revives, refreshes souls. It brings light into darkness. And as we expose more darkness to the light, there's a greater chance that there's going to be radical transformation. That's, again, why Above Bar makes such a big deal of spending time in the Word as we come to celebrate the goodness and the mercy and the loving kindness of God, we get exposed to his word, which has the power to change lives. So again, from 1 Peter, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. All people are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. So the question that we're going to tackle tonight is, how can we enjoy the Word of God? I've got three short points for tonight. Um, we're going to firstly briefly look at who God reveals himself to be in Scripture. Then we're going to look at why did God give us his Word. And then second, uh, thirdly, third point, what transformation, what change can reading the Bible make in my life? So... Firstly, God is revealed joyfully through his word. Or we could say, a joyful God is revealed through his word. First of all, it really helps to understand that God himself is a God of joy. The Bible is permeated with references about God being the source of all joy. And actually, it stretches back into eternity past, long before creation was ever made, where there was this trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a triangle of perfect love and perfect joy. And actually, creation itself was just an expression of joy. It was a spilling out. I wonder how you picture God tonight. Do you picture him as a stern taskmaster who sets a bunch of rules, and when we, when we go against those rules, he judges us and, and finds and delights in just finding ways to punish us? Do you see him as a policeman, God, that when he said, let there be light, he said it like this, let there be light. Sorry bit loud. But that was, do you see him like that? Did he, did he shout like a policeman and blow his whistle when he said, let there be light? No. God's not like that. He's a God of great joy. And actually, when he said, let there be light, it was an explosion of joy, if you will. See, as he speaks creation into being, his words are an explosion. So then we see things like dolphins that chitter and play. We see butterflies that are just a riot of colors. We see sunrises and sunsets, which are just awe-inspiring. We see so many amazing, beautiful things that are just an expression of the joy of God. All of creation is a canvas that expresses his infinite joy. So on the sixth day, everything is good, right? But with his final pinnacle act, God creates mankind. He creates us in his image. Now he says everything is good, good. It's very good. Why has he made us? For what purpose has he made us? So that we can know God and enjoy him. You were made to be happy in an exquisitely 
happy God. And you can get to know him through his word. So the word of God brings life and equips us to live it to the full. Secondly, God's word is for our joy. In the second stanza of verse 7, we see that the Bible makes wise the simple. Now, the simple here isn't those who are um, intellectually lacking. It's those who haven't had um, wisdom formed in them. We heard last week that when we live wisely, God provides opportunities for us to share the gospel with those around us, with people who wonder why we act and think and react and speak differently from everybody else because we've been infused with wisdom from God. The Bible is packed with wisdom for living because this is our manufacturer's manual for life. Does anyone have an air fryer here? Quick show of hands. Beautiful. I'd love an air fryer, but I've been looking around and some of them look really fiddly. Some of them look really fiddly. Now, could you imagine if I, if I bought one of these really amazing air fryers, pulled it out of the box, plugged it into the wall, and said, right, I'm going to make a roast. Let's get a roast on. There's all these drawers, all these different accessories. There's an LED screen that's doing all sorts of different things. And in one drawer, I throw in my potatoes and my parsnips. In another drawer, I throw in my joint of beef, press some random things, and think, yeah, that'll do, that'll do. Off we go. I'm pretty sure that my friends wouldn't thank me for their lunch that day. I'm pretty sure the beef would be dried out and the potatoes would just be awful. I need to read the instructions. It's like, you know, what else could I, what else could I find out? I, I, I need to know, um, one, how do I clean this thing? If something goes wrong, who do I call? Not the Ghostbusters, but somebody. God's word is exactly the same. It provides wisdom for our life. That's exactly why he's given it to us, so that we can live a life that isn't bogged down by unnecessary mistakes that we don't need to make. And then we know who to turn to when things start to break down. Verse 8, moving on, tells us that the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. See, according to the Bible, joy is not an accessory for a perfect Christian so they can turn their frowns upside down. No, rather joy is tenacious. It fights. It holds on to the perfect promises of God. It's an anchor in the storm when the waves of life threaten to flatten us. And joy is the very heartbeat of God. No wonder when we look through Scripture and we see his great story, it's at the very core. And it's intended to shape our lives too. What is the gospel? Luke 10. It's good news that will cause great joy. What is death for the believer? Matthew 25 says... Come and share your master's happiness. What is the goal of prayer? John 16. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What is the goal of fellowship? Second John. I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face that our joy may be complete. And what is the goal of engaging with scripture? Jeremiah 15:16. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. See, culture will tell you that if you just gain wealth and great things, that you'll be happy. But verse 10 of our psalm, David says no. That's not all will bring happiness. Happiness comes through reading God's word, being transformed by God's word. 
It's far more precious than the riches of this world. Culture will tell you that happiness can be found in running after things that delight the senses. But again, verse 10 tells us, no, it's not about the sweetest of honeys and things like that. God's word is the sweetest of honey. When we allow it to work in our lives and transform us, it becomes so sweet and rich and dear to us. Think of the best cake that you've ever had. I want you to imagine it right now. Uh, we'll try and do this without you feeling too hungry. But imagine the taste in your mouth uh, and what, what it smells like as you lift it toward your lips. Now, while your taste buds are tingling um, in anticipation for another slice, think about how long that experience would last. A couple of minutes, maybe? That's one of the reasons why the Word of God is so sweet. Because what it does, it doesn't just last for a couple of minutes. It transforms your entire life. Its longevity is so much stronger. The Word of God is so much sweeter because it has the power to transform your entire life. There you'll find trustworthy instructions that will never let you down. A light for your path when you don't know where you're heading. A pure way when all around you is chaos and compromise. The Word of God brings life and equips us to live it to the full. See, real joy is found when you listen intently to God, when you spend time in his infectious presence, the infectious presence of a joyful God. When your delight is in the law of the Lord like the man in Psalm 1. So just to underscore the point, John's gospel, uh, well, John's writing, so two in John's gospel and one in one of his letters, uh, helps us to see this picture clearly. So John 15 says, These things I have written to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's Jesus speaking. Then Jesus says, Now I am coming to you, as he prays to the Father. And these things I speak in the world, that my joy may be fulfilled in them. Then John writes in his letter in 1 John, 4, uh, 1 John 1, sorry, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Did you hear the refrain there? These things, these things, these things. What things? The things written, the things that have been inspired, breathed out by the Spirit of God. The purpose of your Bible, my friends, is to give you an infusion of joy. It's to flood your heart with joy. That's why David boldly declares in verse 8 that the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Now, please, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when you open your Bible, it's like an IV drip. You open your Bible, and let the joy fest begin. Happy days, here we go. Let's read the Word of God. No, no. Very often, we come to God's Word. And sometimes it's more of a, a duty than a delight, isn't it? Sometimes we have to work really hard to get anything from God's word. It's a discipline. Just like we heard last week, if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, check out the, um, check out the YouTube channel uh, and listen to last week. It was really good. But last week we talked about prayer being something that we actually deliberately have to set time aside for. We have to actually physically work it into our schedule and, and do it. Reading the Bible is exactly the same. But just like eating healthily or working out, you don't find that as soon as you start doing it, you see instant results. No, we have to carry on doing it, and carry on doing it, and carry on doing it. But the point of discipline, especially when you maintain it, is that you start to see results as you go along. Steadily and increasingly, until the day when we get to see the king face to face, and we're in his presence where joy is perfect and complete, and it never ends. 
God also uses his word to warn us as well. So verse 11 in, in your Bibles. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. In a sense, obeying God's word is, is the reward itself because it helps to stop you from living outside of the parameters that God has set. So in Psalm 119, that great thing right in the middle of your Bible that is a psalm that basically talking about how amazing the word of God is. David says this, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my hearts. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. See, a fish was swimming close to shore one day. She was in her school. She was having a great time. But she saw the shore, and she thought, I've never been there before. None of my friends have ever been there before. I want to go. I want to see something new. I want to expand my horizons. And so she says to her friends in the school, I'm going to the shore. And they said, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a death sentence. And she thinks, well, what do you know? You've never been to shore. How could you possibly know? So she turns around, and she swims. And the tide drags her toward the shore. And she gets there and she goes, I'm free, I'm free. I get to explore, I get to do whatever I want. She wags her tail. She can't move. She tries to breathe and she can't breathe. She was outside of the boundaries that she had been designed to thrive in. And the result wasn't good. So when we live outside of the purposes for our creation and the safe boundaries that God has set for us in his word, we're living in what the Bible calls sin. And Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's why the Bible warns us time and time again, as we see in verse 11, because true freedom and joy come with living in holiness. There's great reward in reading and being transformed by and living according to God's word. The word of God brings life and equips us to live it to the full. So David has spent time thinking about creation and how it declares the glory of God. He delights in the fact that he can know the creator personally. He can know the thoughts of the artist. His soul has been brought to life by the word of God. He's gained wisdom and deep-seated joy. It has produced the fear of the Lord in him, an awestruck reverence of the God whose words are more precious than all of the gold in his treasury and the greatest delicacies that have been laid upon the king's banquet table. He's been warned of dangers ahead and experienced the great rewards that come from living in the will of God. So he shifts his eyes from the God who reveals himself in scripture to himself and what he sees in light of that. Jesus' brother James says that the word of God is like a mirror, that when we read the Bible, it exposes what is really in our hearts, our sins, our shortcomings, the areas of life where we don't really match up to God's perfect standard. It's not always a pretty picture. None of us, myself included, don't want to be confronted with our own hypocrisy, our shortcomings, our compromises, our complacency. But when we do, God is able to do his merciful, transforming work in our hearts. That's why David cries out in desperation in verses 12 and 13. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless 
innocent of great transgression. You see, the Bible is God's gift to us. He wants us to look more and more like Jesus every day. When we look at ourselves in the mirror of the word, let's look at ourselves spiritually. When we can allow the word to realign our hearts with God's. Allow your heavenly father to show you how you can look more like his son as you read his word. As we are nourished by the word of God, his work takes effect in our heart to transform us. And that's the primary purpose of the word of God, is to bring about the transformation of our hearts so that with a transformed heart comes a transformed life. As Paul Tripp helpfully says, when the word of God is brought to you by the spirit of God, propelled by the grace of God, the result should be heart and life transformation. So how can we conquer the sin that enslaves us? How can we find victory in our war for holiness? How can we live a life that is good and pleasing to God, that is blameless, as David says, innocent of great transgression? The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. We need the transforming power of grace. I need the word of God in my life every day to carry on getting rid of the artifacts of sin, those roots of sin that keep on creeping into my life. We can rip them out as we spend time in God's word. But be warned, as we heard last week, again, you've got an enemy who doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to be stuck in a life of, of fallen ways, of being ineffective, of having dull hearts. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just come to save you from the consequences of sin. And we're going to celebrate that in a moment as we come to communion. But he also came to free you from the control of sin. See, God wants you to know true joy and freedom that comes with living in the beauty of holiness. So when we spend time in his, his word, his promise is that it will accomplish everything that he wants it to. There's no better place to be than in the safe arms and the loving will of your infinitely glorious Father who gave his only Son for you. So as we move to communion in a second, and as we go through this week, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we spend time enjoying God's word, would we allow it to transform us so that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to our King, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen.